Yes, welcome to this particular franchise radio show. I've got an exciting uh, discussion here for you. This is a discussion with uh, John O'Brien, the founder and CEO of Allworks. Um, and we titled this one, How to Grow Your Franchise Groove Successfully from Your Suburb to International Acclaim. And uh, the reason I'm excited because John has got an amazing history in franchising, uh, probably one of the outstanding people from the point of view of what he's done over the years. His passion and experience is really hard to rival. Uh, he's an inductee in the Franchise Council of Australia Hall of Fame. He's been a chair of numerous organisations, including the World, Asia Pacific, Australia and Queensland Franchise Councils. And he is a founding member of the Australian Federal Government ACC Franchise Advisory Group. So he's really been, he's put his hand up and got very involved in the industry. Um, across the spectrum, beyond just his own business. He's been involved in franchising for 22 years, and Poolworks has been developed into an award-winning system. They've won Best Franchise System um, at the FCA three times, been a winner of multi-unit franchisee awards. Almost every year, someone from the organisation is up there on the roster, and it's great. He's uh, also taken the lead in the industry as far as the swimming pool sector. He, co-founded the Swimming Pool Retail Association of Australia, serves on the industry's peak board, and so on and so forth. So, But he's on the point where he's pointed to be a global brand. All Works has taken franchise, franchising where it really can go. He's launched into the US, and we're going to hear a little bit about that today. But at this point in time, he's Australia and New Zealand's largest retail and service group, um, and globally, with over 100 stores, 400 service vehicles, spread amongst 250 franchisees. John, anything I've missed from your introduction there? <laughs> Hi, Brian. Uh, thanks. Uh, it sounds like I'm 100 years old when you listen <laughs> to, uh, to that. Uh, but then again, I think you and I have known each other for most of that journey. So uh, it's a pleasure to be back talking to you again. Um, now, this is nothing uh, to do with my bio that you've missed there, Brian. Thank you. Okay, fine, right. Well, uh, what I'd like to say is, you know, we've heard a, you know, a little bit there from the background, but where are you at today with Paul Works, John? Um, we kicked off uh, Paul Works uh, back in uh, 1992, and uh, of course, it's been a very long journey since then, but... Um, uh, we probably really got going with the business about 10 years ago um, and indeed a few years ago we set ourselves a 10-year plan. So that 10-year plan says that in Australia and New Zealand um, we will get to 375 stores, a 1,000 vans, uh, a business turning over 375 million and about 35% of our market share. I suppose I'm a big believer that unless you... Uh, you know your industry well and you know what the end game is, you'll never get there. So at this stage, we're, we're on track for our journey. We, uh, we opened 12 new stores this past 12 months. We're at, uh, 97 stores. Wow. Uh, we hit, uh, 300, that's in Australia and New Zealand. We hit 350 service fans, uh, and we're tapping on the door of, uh, um, 100 million revenue and 100 and, uh, let me see, 100 and, seven franchisees operating about 210 territories. So uh, ticking most of the boxes, of course, um, uh, back in March last year, we expanded our business beyond Australia and New Zealand into the US. Um, in the last 18 months, uh, we've uh, sold 15 franchises 
and they operate 17 stores, 70 service trucks across five states, California, uh, Arizona, Texas, Florida and South Carolina. So that's where we're at at the moment, Brian. We've got uh, about 750 people working our business. We're the largest pool service business in the world. Uh, we're the second largest pool franchise business in the world and we're the third largest pool retailer in the world. Well, that's extraordinary. That's why I'm going to dig into how you've done that, John. I, I first came across Pool Works when I was heavily involved with the FCA in Sydney, uh, back probably 20 years ago, I suppose. It would have been, actually, um, just about when you embarked on the journey there. They were working out of a warehouse in Hornsby, three vans, as I recall it. Um, so... From the point of view, what have been the key steps from there in your journey? What have been the points that have really, really sort of, I suppose, influenced your growth? Stepping points. I suppose the first, the first one went to brand, Brian. Um, um, I bought a little business, as you said, with a few vans on the road, and it was called uh, Mobile Pool and Spa Care. It's, um, it's not a brand that you can defend, and it's certainly not a brand you can take nationally or globally. So. The first thing was we had to change the name and choose a name that was protectable uh, for our and our franchisees' benefits. So uh, you know, we developed the, the name Pool Works with a very quirky spelling uh, that's proved to be very, very protectable uh, and defendable uh, around the world. Um, the next thing for us, Brian, was to uh, invest in system. So the very first person I employed after myself um, was essentially a person who, a compliance analyst type person who could write up best practice for me. So we went about determining what was best practice for running a pool service franchise and wrote up those manuals and then we wrote up the training systems. I suppose ever since that day we've always been very big on as we expanded our system into different verticals, we always make sure that we invest and run it as a corporate operation first, whether it's a van or a multi-van or a retail store or a multi-retail store or a commercial business. We, we take the risk. We work out what's best practice. We put it into a system. We put it into a manual and then we develop the training tools and the compliance tools that come after that so that we can take a new franchise partner or an existing franchise partner through those various verticals to be successful. So brand first, uh, system development second, uh, training resources third. Probably the next big thing we did, Brian, was then to um, uh, work out our marketing, uh, as, as particularly as our marketing revenue grew. Uh, but we had to work out how initially to grow, and that was by knocking on doors because that's all we could afford, <laughs> to today where we've got a, a multi-million dollar a marketing fund with, uh, you know, with TV and digital and all those sorts of things. So I suppose, um, as I reflect kind of on those key points, um, that probably gets me to the stage then where you then need to invest heavily in the professional support structure um, that recruits, trains, develops your franchise partners. And I think you need to make a choice, Brian, whether you're uh, a full format franchise system or you're a light touch franchise system or something in between. Uh, in our case, um, you know, we, we've always taken the view that we're a full format franchise system. We 
invest very heavily ahead of the curve in developing systems and specialist head office and field support people to support our franchise partners. Like we have in Australia uh, 100-odd franchise partners, but we have close to 40 support people. So, you know, it's, the, it's a high support ratio, but, uh, you know, we have high growth and we've never been in court. So uh, it depends. Yeah, I think that probably might be a few steps, bro. Yeah, that, that, those, those, are, those are quite indicative. There's a few things which are really interesting there, so I, I might ask you a few questions about that. <coughs> um, but before the, when, you are, when you're moving into a new territory, new area, new region, you actually set up as a corporate first. So you don't have your franchisee taking the risk. Um, now I remember seeing Correct. that. Yep. I remember seeing that happen with you in far north Queensland, for example. So when you do that, one one point that comes to my mind of interest: you set up you set up somewhere. You've got a corporate entity. You're putting it on the market to recruit a franchisee. Do you charge goodwill for that beyond what would be normally the franchise fee because you've built a business? So this is where we've built up an existing corporate business and then mm. we sell it, is that right, Brian? That's right, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, we, uh, you know, we, we build up and prove that, uh, corporate, uh, location and, uh, you know, we, we find in today's market, probably different to five or more years ago, that it's, it's actually easier, Brian, to sell an existing operation than it is to sell a greenfield operation. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, people are looking for cash flow, they're looking for staff, uh, they're looking for a, an existing business, they can get a loan from the bank, and they can get a lot easier with an existing business than a new business. And we've probably taken that a step further, Brian, where um, in the interest of creating stock for resale, um, we actually have a whole uh, recruitment department and funding to uh, acquire existing independents where there's not a franchisee ready to buy it, we'll buy it and run it, and uh, and then we find it relatively easy to rebrand it and sell it as a pool works going concern. Oh, I see. That's interesting. So uh, compared with Tom Potter, who used to approach franchisees or prospective franchisees in country towns and say, join our group and convert them, you actually buy a convertible store, put it into your brand, and then sell it, adding value, I guess, with regards to that. So that's a profitable exercise from your point of view? Yeah, it's very profitable, Brian. I mean, for a number of reasons. One, uh, uh, the because of our better buying power than anybody else in the industry, um, as soon as we buy an independent store, we can add nearly 20 points to the gross profit line. And uh, because of the, the, probably the strength of our brand and our systems and our marketing, um, we find that... Uh, uh, we increase sales straight away, so increase the top line, increase the GP line, and uh, you know the business is straight away more saleable and it's more profitable. That's yeah, I, I love that approach. <laughs> it's entrepreneurial. I mean, it, it's seeing opportunities and saying, "Hey, we can make some money here, make a good return on our investment. Let's get in and do it." It's great experience for your crew, I think, as well. So you've got you're getting multi-layer benefits. So from that point of view. Um, uh, well, actually, Brian, you, you, you just raised a really good point there. Uh, it's really good experience for your crew. That, that's a great comment because um, what we found before we ran company operations was uh, uh, if ever there was a hiccup with a franchise partner, which you know, unfortunately you know, there will always be 5% of your network that falls on bad times, is that we weren't able to step in and run that business well 
because we didn't have the skill in-house. We were good at coaching people how to run a business but not good at running the business. So now that we have uh, a good uh, number of people in our business who are corporate staff that know how to run a corporate store, if ever a franchisee does fall on hard times, they're able to pick that business up and, and run it pretty quickly and not lose it to the brand. That's fantastic. So overall, that adds to your revenue every month because of your uh, because of your royalty fees are maintained, and of course because you're yeah. involved in the supplier product areas, it all helps your bottom line across the board. But so when did you start doing that that, that innovation? That, how big was the business when you decided that that was the way to go, John? So we were probably um, that was only about three years ago, Brian. And okay. we were probably at about uh, 75 stores by the time we did that. Right, okay. Now, knowing what you know now, having done that for two or three years, would you be doing it earlier in the piece if you were aware of the, probably the benefits you could get from it? Definitely. I, I would have done it earlier, but at the same time, um, you know, you've got to have a pool of funding available to buy competitor stores too. And, and you want to be buying good stores. Mm. Um, not poor stores. You have to buy great stores, just buy good stores. And uh, we probably needed to get to about that size, 75 stores. Um, maybe we could have done it earlier at 50 stores, but uh, you have to get to a size where the bank is prepared to provide you essentially a line of credit to enable you to go out and buy those stores. Right, okay. That's, yeah, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, you're someone that I think grows quickly, slowly, <laughs> or have done over the years, and as much as you've, consol- you've grown a bit, you've consolidated. You've grown a bit, you've consolidated. You're really hitting your straps now because you've got a huge resource here with all your staff, your experience, and, and I. So that leads me to what do you see as the attraction, particularly in setting up overseas, say in, in the US, for example. What's the, what do you see you're taking there that gives you an advantage over the Americans in that marketplace? Brian, that's actually, before we go to the US, there was just a quick point there that you raised that I think is really interesting too about, you know, growing, consolidating, growing, consolidating. I think that goes to um, how you're funded or how you want to be, uh, what sort of shareholders you want. So um, I've just had two shareholders uh, for the last 20 years and we've made a decision, I suppose, to grow within our means to not bring in private equity and not dilute our equity and to do it out of cash flow and bank lending. So, you know, other people might say, look, I want to, I'm prepared to dilute my shareholding and bring in private equity partners and get my funding that way. So I think that's just an interesting point. If you want to grow faster, dilute your shareholding, bring in private equity. If you're prepared to take a slower path but have a bigger share like we did and do it out of cash flow and bank lending, uh, you can. Just an interesting point, right? Oh, look, it's, you, you um, reach so many points of view on that, and it, it's a matter of what your objectives are, what your values are, I think, where you want to go, because uh, well, it, at the end of the day, you, you've got control, and that's where you hear so many people with disputes within companies that have grown. You've got multiple shareholders, and it's, it's hellish difficult to resolve the problems and very, very expensive. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, just going back to your question on the US, Brian, uh, probably because I lost myself there, you, you were saying what's worked for us in the US? Well, no, it, what, what motivated you to look at 
the US, what what were the benefits you thought you were taking? Where could you add value to where the home of franchising, we all presume, and I know you spend a lot of time in America, so you know the place well, but we we all presume they do it the best. Um, What do you think you could do that you could do better? Brian, I suppose it all goes back to... um you know, when, when we started, um, I came off the back of a six-month sabbatical looking for my next business around the world. And I was looking for a business that I could actually, in time, take to the globe. So I suppose I I started the way I wanted to finish, and uh, I went looking for a disorganised industry around the world, and I found full servicing in the US being a disorganised industry, came back to Australia, saw it was the same here. Um, about in 2008... I didn't want to be a reactive uh, franchise org uh, reacting to an opportunity overseas from somebody's relative or a, or a web uh, inquiry, and I engaged a franchise consulting firm to to do 12 months work for us to um, explore different US uh, different global markets and come up with a short list of countries. They came up with 15 countries and they ranked them in order of of the most um, attractive markets for us to go into. And we then protected our IP around the world um, in those 15 countries, um, you know, all well in all but one of them. But that's another story. So um, we got to a point then um, where you know, the US was number one on that list, and uh, we, we we went and did the homework in the US. We found that, to our surprise, uh, there were only two companies: one in pool servicing and one in pool retail that were franchised in the US. Would you believe that? Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's a market. <laughs> in the pool industry, I mean, the pool industry is 10 times bigger in America than what it is here, and there's five franchise companies here in Australia and there were two in America. So, um, you know, we saw that it was a big market. Uh, it was a disorganised market. It only had two franchise players and one corporate player. It was mostly Ma and Pa, and Ma and Pa's needed help, the help that franchising can give. So, um, you know, we, uh, I think as you know, we, we did what we always do. We made an acquisition in Phoenix, Arizona of, uh, uh, 15 stores and, uh, we, we road tested that for 12 months and then began franchising, uh, at Christmas time just gone. So. Lovely. I just love it. That's fantastic. You are what I see as one of the early disruptors, John, uh, because you, yeah. you, you, you saw an industry 20, 20, 30 years ago, which slapped really, I suppose you could compare it with the taxi industry and Uber coming in. I mean, you've changed the profile of the whole industry, not just, not just the business you acquired, not just franchising, but actually the whole pool industry, um, which is, which is yeah, quite, yeah. hmm, I don't know if you've been recognised for that yet, but you need a disruptors award. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, it is an interesting point, uh, one of the ways we did that too, Brian, and we definitely did disrupt the industry in Australia and, and we've reset it. So they've now all followed us, but uh, we're the biggest in Australia, but um, we're doing that in America. But the, the biggest thing that we've been recognised for in Australia, Brian, is, uh, and I think franchising can do this better than other any other industry, is that among the many things we did, you can't do anything unless you've got profitable franchise partners. So um, because we bought in a better way of servicing the client at service and retail and a better looking van and uniform and trained people and whatever, um, we're able to charge a premium price. 
and over time, you know, we charged higher and higher prices and the rest of the industry followed. And as a result, you know, our franchise partners have got the, the highest, um, you know, net profit, gross profit, net profit margins in the industry. But the good thing was the rest of the industry followed behind us. So we kind of dragged, uh, what was, uh, uh, uh and Pa cottage industry, um, into the next century. And it, it's quite professional now with five franchisors. Excellent. Tell me, just something looking at <coughs> franchising as a whole. Um, you know, it's, it's been under the spotlight from time to time where there's a, a franchise group that one way or another has some publicity for whatever reasons, but we won't go into that. But I hear critics saying, oh, franchising's grown too big, it's got no more potential, franchisees get taken for a ride. What's your, what's your response to those comments, John? Well, Brian, you and I have done the whole journey. I kicked off in franchising in 1983 and I've, I've probably heard that cycle every 10 years since. Um, I've never seen uh, more opportunity for uh, new franchise startups, for franchisees uh, than what there is today. Uh, I, I probably get approached personally once a month by a startup that's got a new concept or a new idea. Um, I, I rarely ever look very closely at them as I focus on my own business, but so many of them are great ideas that will work with the right investment and the right leadership. So um, in terms of uh, franchising being too big, we're only uh, 12% of Australia's GDP. Um, in my own industry where there's five franchisors, cumulatively we're only 35% of the industry. Uh, so just about every... Every sector I look at um, has enormous growth for franchising within it. I think uh, the small to medium uh, enterprise in Australia has enormous growth for more franchise brands. I mean, as you and I both know, uh, per head of population uh, with Brazil, we're the most franchised nation in the world. So you know, we're a very entrepreneurial lot. We don't like working for the man. Um, franchisors are, are budding entrepreneurs all over the place. And franchisees, I mean, I have never, but we got nearly 500 franchise inquiries last year. Uh, you know, we're getting, aiming to get, we're, we're budgeting to get 800 this coming financial year. Um, uh, I was at the Perth show, Perth franchise show, uh, a few weeks back. You were there, Brian. I have never seen so much vibrancy at a, at a, at a franchise show. I haven't seen that for 20 years. So, um, I think it's a good time to be getting into franchising as a franchisor or a franchisee. Yeah, certainly I could endorse that. I'm interested, you mentioned there 500 inquiries. That's a lot to process. Um, now, I presume you've got a nurturing process, you've got a filtering method, you do have your own recruitment staff. What's your philosophy on using internal team members to handle recruitment as opposed to going externally to brokers, John? I think you need to use both. Right. Um, uh, I think uh, to back one horse is always dangerous. I, I think that um, they've got their particular niche in the market. Um, you know, we, we have a, a, a very sophisticated uh, uh, back-end database system which handles a lot of the, the inquiries up to a point and automatically generates responses. Um, uh, we have a fantastic database management uh, tool um, we have an internal team of uh, two franchise development executives um, who are supported by an administration person and a marketing person. But we also know that um, 
certain brokers and in certain markets um, are getting access to people coming through their door who may never think about Poolworks as an opportunity. So they might have people coming to their door to buy a business or a franchise business, um, but the, the broker correctly brief can actually put our brand in front of them. So we can get people through brokers who we would never otherwise look at our brand. So we like using a combination of both. And, of course, our field team too. You know, We have seven uh, business development managers uh, located geographically across the country, and they have a key role locally as part of our extended franchise development team. So, yeah, I think uh, both, Brian. Yeah, no, I'd endorse that, having been impressed for a little bit precious, having been a broker. But a final question, if I can. If you were to launch Cool Works today, with what you know, can you give me one, one or two things you might do differently? Hmm. Um, I probably would have borrowed more and gone harder earlier, Brian. <laughs> All right. no, that's yeah. um, I probably, in answer to your question earlier, um, I, I'm probably uh, a cautious entrepreneur if there's such a thing, and uh, I, I think I think in today's uh, faster and faster moving world, if you've uh, got an emerging brand and an emerging opportunity, then um, you don't have as much time as what I would have had. You need to. Uh, get your volume and your size up quicker than I probably had. You know, probably need to not do it over 20 years, but do it over seven. So that invariably means if you don't have access to capital to do it sooner, that you need to get access to capital in a, in any number of ways that you can to do it sooner. Um, would I have done anything else differently? Because I I started as a service business. Um, mobile service business for the first uh, 10 years and then moved into retail about eight years ago. Um, I probably, in reflection, um, I'm a big believer in hub and spoke businesses and crossover retail service business. Um, there's a lot of talk in franchising about uh, how well service franchising is doing uh, versus uh, retail. I think people are missing the point in this hub and spoke integrated business model mm. and it's worked so well for us and I've seen a lot of other brands how it could work too and I probably would have done that quicker. I would have created retail, moved into our business sooner. Okay, John, thank you very much. I've got 101 other questions but uh, we've run out of time. I'd like to really thank you. I do appreciate it. You're an incredibly busy man. Someone with a $100 million turnover, half an hour of your time is worth a lot of money. So on behalf of all of our listeners and myself, I'd like to thank you very much indeed. Wish you all the best with your growth overseas and here, and look forward to talking again soon when I see you at the Brisbane Franchise Expo.